I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. And we're back with another episode. Now this episode started out as a totally different topic. We started out trying to talk about functional language and trying to get down to what's functional and how do we decide that. But... (laughs) So Cheryl's telling on me because I started this blog on functional... I said, don't worry about it. I've got a great handout on functional communication and I'll use that as the basis and I'll write the blog and then we can go from there and... Yeah, I kind of wandered off. I was <laughs> so, but, all over the place. <laughs> but you know what? I think that I think the topic is going to be better, and I think it's going to be of more interest to people because it's certainly one that's near and dear to my heart. And it's gatekeeping. Like, who is the gatekeeper of speech and language services? It has just been the most heartbreaking part of working in Saskatchewan for me is to be always be the gatekeeper and determine who gets service and who does not. And, of course, that is historic. Because, again, going back to the 80s and to those, my buddy who started off in, I think it was the Davidson area, and she had 39 rural schools. And there's a really eager, brand-new speech path, and the, the, the field is brand-new to no teacher or principal or board or anybody knows anything about it, and we're delving into the new world of speech pathology in Saskatchewan in the schools. And so, of course, it's wide open, wide open. And who would have ever thought you'd start with 39 schools? Nobody nobody really knew. or And so, of course, then they, nobody's going to tell that speech path what to do and what their job is because they don't know. And so it was left to those pioneering speech paths to try to follow kind of the training that they'd taken wherever they'd taken it, most of us in Minot, um, to try to follow what the model was from the states and, and our training. So to to go back to that, when for those of you who are not speech pathologists, at that time... Um, ASHA, which is the American Speech Language Hearing Association, had come out with guidelines that said that if a speech language pathologist had a fairly, I'm going to call it easy caseload, so mostly just kids who needed their articulation sounds worked on, something very simple, um, they could have a caseload of up to 40. That was the recommendation. And if you had pre-K kids on your caseload, the maximum should be 25. And if you had um severely uh involved kids those maybe with autism or cerebral palsy or some other you know significant issue that then your maximum caseload should be 8 well you can imagine this speech language pathologist who has is brand new out of school and she has 39 schools K to 12 and how is she going to decide of these you know, 3,000 kids that, that she potentially has to work with, who, who is going to get her service? And I was never faced with that. I was in the, in the medical line. Right. And I remember, you know, leaving my job in a, you know, having at the time was the only um, speech and language uh, pathologist seeing adults in outpatient uh, care. The only one, one person, in and all of, in in all of northern Saskatchewan, it would be. And okay. my boss before that, and a lot of you will remember, or maybe not a lot of you remember, but Lois Hunter was based out of Univer- Royal University Hospital, and she just handled the 
the whole northern half of the province. So again, it, it was our legacy that there were no policies and procedures. There was no legislation or law as to who gets services or is entitled to services or, or anything. But, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, I came into a, the school division to work with Cheryl in what year? 2000. 2003? Somewhere Two, there. Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. And uh, even then, again, we were doing shared services, which was more than one school division. And the, really, I didn't have much um, uh, involvement in making the decisions. By that time, again, Cheryl had already started, and she did have who was on the caseload and, uh, you know, we we just I just went on from there without really uh, making any decisions about it, and so uh, I think that that um, there's never been any organization around it at all, no. provincial organization, and there's no never been any collective voice uh, saying. Right. This is best practice, and this is what we should be doing. So. Right, and it's really difficult when you ask school administrators, for example, who we should be seeing. Like, if if they say, well, a lot of times, my favorite, my favorite saying ever that was ever said to me by a superintendent was, well, I don't really know what you SLPs do, but I think you should do it like this. And so, but when you ask them they want you to do something a different way or they want you to see this child or that child or they've gotten a phone call from a parent and, well, why can't you just go see this child or they've gotten a call from a school, can you come and see this child? Well, it, it, they don't realize that you're making decisions every day about which child is going to get service and which child isn't. And, and if they're not, there's a reason for it. And also it, it's to try to be efficable about it right yes. so if you see so, a child if a parent calls are we going with the squeaky wheel gets the grease approach right. or are we saying no we just see this um this diagnosis this, this grade this area of communication right and and again it's all over the map people have yeah. just made their decisions based on their comfort maybe or yeah. their interest and i'd love to you know hear from the rest of the people in saskatchewan the rest of the slps what they're doing because I under my understanding is that in some school divisions they only see kids with articulation errors and I can understand that it's not a choice that I would make but I can understand it because in the limited time that they have I can see that they're going to make the most progress with those kids those kids are the most likely to be discharged but then what happens to the kid who has autism who needs intensive reference and regulate training and or what happens to the child who can't communicate at all and they need a communication board and that's hours and hours and hours of of work and it's it's long term you know to get them to any kind of functional communication so it's um and then you throw in the dynamic of of when there's not um enough positions or there's not not enough to handle sort of a caseload approach um, and you're you're kind of going with with uh, what can I possibly push into a day or a year? Um, we've just in the last decade maybe turned more and more to private practice. And please, um, we're not criticizing 
any any person or system or anything we're actually trying to just get people to think about it and what would be best practice and for me that um having worked in private practice and cheryl has too to me the dynamic of having children receive their speech and language interventions in the school is absolutely the best model because of that intensity and frequency the neuroplasticity all those things we've talked about that in the past we learned a lot of the interventions we did don't have outcomes because it they never could be given to to make per permanent neurological yeah. change or permanent learning it just couldn't happen for sure despite all the efforts we made yeah i'll take 20 minutes three times a week over an hour and a half once a week any day and i would i would trump you on that i'd say <laughs> let's do 20 minutes every day five days a week and that'll make sure that the child probably is there three times a week yeah but, that's true but the goal would be daily short intervention yes absolutely and, and if unless there's a reason to not do that and you can't fit it in and then a decision yeah. as to you yeah. know i the same story we we're just talking about who's making the decision right it, yeah and i started to say earlier about um asking administrators you know when you when you get that phone call of well can you see jimmy at this school well Yes, I can, but that do you realize that means I'm not seeing somebody else? I am taking that time to see this child who maybe has, um, maybe they can't say the TH sound. That's not a crippling communication disorder, even if you're in grade seven. It's not, you can get through life with that. Whereas, you know, the child who has no viable means of communication unless you set it up for them and work intensively with them to to me is a bigger priority but again I'm not criticizing anybody for any decision they make because every single decision is heartbreaking every single decision means that somebody else is not going to get served and and my um, comment on that would be um, that the, the children who need that intensive work, unless you are in a situation you can actually provide it, then don't puddle duck around. Yes. Don't yeah. dabble and don't yeah. say, well, I can come once a, um, every right. two weeks and I'll give you some updates on this and that. It, you, what you're doing is perpetuating a model that does not work. Yeah. And unless you're measuring your outcomes and showing that you absolutely are making change in this child's abilities and you've got that measurement in place i i challenge you to to, to you know think your decisions through yeah it's it's really difficult and then so then you get to the point where when you ask the administrator what what do you want like what who do you want me to see and the answer is always well i want you to see everyone and then and then you say but I have X number of hours in a day. I cannot possibly see everyone. Or I can just go around glad-handing, like you say, just when you would call puddle-ducking, I would call it, you know, glad-handing. Hi, I'm a speech pathologist. Do you have a problem? Here's a handout. Hi, I'm a speech pathologist. Do you have a problem? Here's a handout. Like, yeah, yeah. Like that's... But again, I think they have tried to address it in the past, and that's that whole discussion around caseload versus workload yes so again you cannot manage all these children you the numbers are beyond us 
So unless we do something like what we're doing, we're at, trying to advocate and get get it brought to, um, you know, m more people and the, the importance of the interventions that speech paths can provide, then, um, you know, we're, we're really, we're going to continue and continue with the same level of services that we have. And it's not enough. No, yeah. it's, it's not enough. And I guess I, I would, it, it comes back to our, I think our very first podcast was on standards. And if we knew, it, I think the first question we asked in that podcast is, who is eligible? Who is entitled to speech and language services? And we would say, well, everyone should be, but they aren't right now. And it's all over the map. Like, you know, some kid with an R problem might get, in grade five, might get services at in one school, and some child with, you know, severe apraxia may not get service in another child, in another school. So, And I think in the last years, speech paths have, there's been a little bit more of, I think, collective vision or whatever that, can we do early intervention. Can we focus on early intervention because it has more bang for the buck, yeah. and yeah. and that you could show maybe more outcome because yeah. um, there you've got months of recovery maybe versus mm -hmm. years of a child's uh, delay to to right. try to compensate for, but then that leaves really all the children that have that yeah. we in the states would have been IEP yeah. uh, right. candidates and the child and who's in grade 4 who's stuttering or you know the child who's new to your school division in grade 6 who has cleft palate that needs the child with down syndrome who's yeah. operating 5 right. years below their peers or, right yeah. there's so so many kids that are left out now in in my mind if there are limited resources the early intervention would be the one that I would choose. That would be the one that I would choose. But it doesn't make it any less difficult a choice, you know? And if I looked back at the positives that we had, you know, about um, where we've come from, I think a lot of, you know, I want to say back to the 39 rural schools, you know, I think the easiest things were done like there was a focus on speech sounds right, and, right. and there was maybe yeah. some focus on language but in the latter years oh my gosh we came so far we we definitely had speech sounds and uh hearing and, and language programs and phonological for the kids awareness. With autism. like that autism programming has really in some instances yeah in some instances yeah, yeah. The, the the knowledge around it and and uh, and technology has mm -hmm. of course just mm -hmm. empowered us tremendously so um right so i guess again what what do our listeners think like do you do you guys out there think it should be when we don't have adequate we we want adequate services for everybody but when we don't would you say it's the we should focus on early intervention or would you say we should focus on the kids who can make the most progress the fastest or would you say we should focus on those who are the most quote-unquote disabled because of their communication their communication limitations or i'm just wondering what 
what the... And do you think that some of it should be deferred to teachers to do? If we can't do it all, should that be deferred to teachers? Or To me, if you focus on early intervention, there are two groups that are really left out of the scenario, and that's um, students who, again, we just talked about the red students that have diagnoses like um, maybe they have cerebral palsy or they have Down syndrome or uh, they're on the autism spectrum or they need, um, you know, uh, uh, alternative augmentative yeah. communication systems. Yeah. Um, and then there are the other, there's the other group that um, are the ones who really should have the exclusive um, attention of the speech pathologist's expertise, and that's children that have, say, stuttering diagnosis or selective mutism or right. things that other people shouldn't be trying to do. Yeah. Or you shouldn't be trying to teach someone else to do. To do. It's yeah. too complex. Yeah. The kids that, that really need diagnostic therapy. Yeah. They need that daily monitoring of... of progress and and adapting the program accordingly so it's a depressing topic no, for me no no, <laughs> no it, it's we it what it needs to be i mean i'm hoping that what people would get out of our conversation is is your um own gatekeeping and what are you doing and should should we try to get that collective voice as to what what uh we were going because then I think you have more chance that the the whole um, school division and the pro mm -hmm. at the provincial level, if if we could come up with those collective um, viewpoints, then there would be maybe chance to move forward. But if if we ourselves don't know which group we want to serve or who should get services or not get mm -hmm. services, um, then. Uh, yeah, that I, that is a good point. That, yeah, that's no. why that's why we're doing this. That's I why guess. we're doing that's it. That's why we're not here. to make you depressed, Cheryl. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Then then let's do it. I mean, I think we should we should have a discussion. We should start this discussion and and see, you know, what everybody thinks and if can can we come to a consensus, and and I think the more feedback. I mean, ultimately, maybe there needs to be an organizational group that's going to. To do this, but to, for the, yeah. to get started, maybe you can, you know, throw your comments onto the website or, um, you know, onto right. Facebook or, mm -hmm. and, and let us know what you're really, yeah, what your opinions about, yeah, having to be the person who decides that a person gets care or doesn't get uh, any services, yeah, right, yeah. So, if you want to contact us, and we sure hope that you do, you can find us at letstalktalking.com that's our website and you can find all of Sherry's excellent blogs there and it we also have a Facebook page and it's let's talk one word and then talking second word as if that's the name of a person and so we're on Facebook and you know again keep keep in touch with us let us know if we're on the right track if these are topics that you're interested in this Again, obviously, this is one that's close to my heart. Um, and it, we're going to try to circle back then. If we get your feedback, we'll try to circle back and then, you know, put that back out there. This is what the this response... This is what people are saying. Yeah, we yeah. got these responses. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, maybe at some time, if we get good enough with the technology, we can do a live uh, broadcast.
broadcast and a forum and have people giving their comments live, which would be really exciting. But Great we, healthy debate. Yes. We need a little more practice with the technology. We love the debate. This is the technology that we need <laughs> practice with. But thank you so much for listening for Let's Talk Talking. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. Let's, Let's talk. talk.